Well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Soul City Church, and we have been for the last couple weeks uh, focusing our attention and asking for God's transformation to come in our lives through one central passage as a church, through one book of the Bible. We're focusing all of our reading and, and looking and learning from God in this one book, the book of James. And as we've uh, seen and, and heard, and maybe if you've missed the last couple of weeks or missed a week in there, you can go on and watch the videos online, also the podcast to kind of catch up. We've been going through chapter by chapter to see what God would have to say to us about our lives and about what it looks like to have a faith that actually works. It's not just the stuff of ideas or kind of feeling good or feeling guilty, but it's actually a faith that, that works and that transforms us practically, tangibly, daily in our lives. What does that really look like? And so James has really been the one that God's used to speak that into our church. This letter that we're looking at uh, is actually a letter written to the very first church, a church that was sort of quickly growing, and James wrote this uh, really honestly about a decade uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So this is coming very early on in the story of the church, very close to the events of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Now what makes this book unique above all other books in the Bible is James's relationship to Jesus, because James, as we've looked at, was the brother of Jesus. And so he has a very unique perspective into who Jesus is. And we said this the first week, if your brother or sister had to write a book about you, uh, do you think it'd be something they'd be talking about in church 2,000 years later? <laughs> Probably not. But this is Jesus, brother of James, savior of the world, who would eventually become savior of James's world. Here James was that close to Jesus, and yet for most of his life completely missed that the savior of the world was in his top bunk. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Savior of the world became the Savior of His world. And so we've been learning from God's inspired word that comes from James. And so I'd ask if you brought a, a Bible with you, would you bring it out right now? And we're going to open it up. If you don't own a Bible, here's the great news. We have one for you. Uh, if you forgot to bring yours, you can grab the blue Bibles right in front of you. And we say this every week. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take this Bible. This stuff is so, this is transformational truth. Uh, that comes from God that we think is so important. So you can grab a Bible, open to James chapter 4. It's page 848 in the Blue Bibles. And uh, we encourage you, I want to make this really clear. Like, this is good, really hard stuff, like life-changing stuff. And so we encourage you to write in these Bibles, even if this isn't your Bible, write in this Bible, because what it could do is become a jumpstart for someone else's growth. And we say to people all the time, if you don't own a Bible, please take this Bible. And so someone in a couple of weeks from now may steal this Bible from church, and your notes could help them. So see, so we are all kind of contributing to this thing. So please take a pen out, open to page 848, James chapter 4. We've been walking through each chapter of this book. There's so much that we can't cover. There's so much great stuff in this book that we just simply don't have time over the course of this month to dive into. I've been seriously considering doing like a director's cut of, of the book of James so we could get into all the passages that we don't have time to do. But we're going to look at one passage today that really honestly is for every single one of us who has a desire to follow God. We love God, in fact. And I would put every single one of us who's here into that camp at some level or who are in overflow right now or who are watching online like at some level, you wouldn't be at church, you wouldn't go through the effort to, to be here or to be watching this if you didn't desire, at some level, a connection to, if not a relationship with God. So we all sort of have that desire, but yet for every one of us at some point or at some level, we get stuck in taking 
our next step of following him. It's as though we're, we're, we want to follow God, we love God, but when it comes down to it, oftentimes we get stuck or we stumble or, or we trip and we're not quite sure why it is that we can say that we love God, but why it's so hard at times to follow him. James has a thought for us today. And it's coming from James 4, specifically James 4, 4 is where we'll start. And if you have been tracking with us and reading this book, you know that James does not waste any time sugarcoating anything. He just goes right after it and says it. And so look at how he opens this passage. Wonderful place to start a sermon. You adulterous people. Again, James is not trying to make you feel good. He's trying to lead us into a deeper relationship with God. He says, you adulterous people, speaking to that church and to ours. And here's why. This is what what that reference is referring to. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God or against God? Let me just kind of unpack that as he does in the next sentence. What James is saying is, look, this is the deal. Your hearts are divided, is what he's saying. Your hearts are divided. You want to follow God. You say you love God, and yet there seems to be something else that's keeping you stuck, if not stumbling or fumbling around through this life. James says, look, here's what it is. You have one foot in this world and one foot in God's world, and you wonder why it's so hard to take your next step. James would say, you adulterous people, your heart is divided. You cannot say, I'm in love with this world and in love with all its ways and still follow God. The two just don't work together. In fact, he says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of or in love with this world becomes an enemy of God. Again, your heart can only be devoted to one or the other. He says, or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us? John Mark McMillan's show coming up this Wednesday, one of his most powerful lyrics is, he is jealous for me, that our God desires all of us, all of our heart, and has a life for us far better than anything we could possibly imagine or muster up here on earth. So James starts by pulling no punches and saying, look, the reason that we get stuck, the reason that we stumble, the reason why it's so hard for us to take a next step is because we have one foot in God's world and one foot in this world. And as long as both feet are firmly planted in two different worlds, it's impossible to take a next step. And so no wonder. James says, look, you can't be in love with this world and in love with God. You have to decide if you're going to be all in. Are you going to be all in with God? And I was thinking through our time together this week and praying for the direction that God would take us and was reminded of something from my childhood and something I got to experience this summer. We have those moments in our life where we have to decide whether or not we're going to go all in or not. And they start really early on. In fact, you may not have even ever thought of them like this before, but all of us at some point, hopefully, maybe learn to swim. Maybe you haven't learned to swim yet, but that's okay. Everyone's accepted. Everyone's expected to swim at our church. So, no, everyone's expected to grow. So it's okay. So, but for those of us who, who learned how to swim, you remember there's a point where you had to decide whether or not you're going to dive in and go, right? Or maybe riding a bike or something like that. I remember um, this summer we're, we're trying to teach our daughter Gigi how to swim. And it is not an easy process. And in Chicago, you have like four months to do any outside activities like that. And so we tried over the course of this summer to teach her how to swim. And the reality is she's just in love with floaties. She doesn't want to give them up. 
And when it comes time for her to jump in, I find myself having to deceive my own daughter. Because I stand at the edge of the pool, I go, just jump to daddy. Daddy's right here, just jump to daddy. And she goes, daddy, come closer. I'm like, I am. And I'll stretch my arms up and move my body backwards. And I'm trying to trick my own daughter to jumping into the water towards me. And she's at the edge and hesitating. And it's not fun for her and it's not fun for us. And I'm like, oh, at some point you have to decide whether or not you're just going to be all in and learn something as simple as swimming. I remember when I was a kid, it was a different, we learned differently back then. This was like the age of no seatbelts. So there certainly were no floaties. Okay, when I was a kid and it came time to swim, honestly, this is the way my parents, they followed some sort of deluded teaching that taught them that you had to throw your kid into the pool to teach him how to swim. And maybe those of you who are parents or old enough who kind of did that, uh, put your kids through that trauma who they would have to work out through counseling years later. That's how I learned to swim. At two years old, I had just learned to walk. Okay, I was feeling good about getting that part done. And my parents decided it's time for him to learn to swim, and the only way to do it is to throw him into the pool. But my parents didn't have the heart to do it, so they made my Uncle Tim do it for me. (laughs) And so there's actually like super eight footage of me running around the pool having no idea, and you can see my Uncle Tim in the bushes going, this is terrible, this is terrible. And he just, I mean, literally, it's on film. He has to run up and scoop me and throw me in. It's a traumatic event. Listen, I had to learn very quickly how to go all in how to swim, right? And it's the same with riding a bike or anything like that. You just have to make that commitment. You're either going to stand on the edge of the pool or you're going to keep the training wheels on or you're going to say, okay, I have to go all in. I can't keep my feet straddled here. We expect this in our world, in our relationships. We expect people to, to go all in for us. I mean, imagine you just got hired for a new position and your boss is there on the first day of work and you know, sits you down and goes, you like your desk? Oh, yeah, I love my desk. Yeah, it's a good desk. You like your view? Yeah, it's a wonderful cube wall. Yeah, it's good. I'm glad you like that. And here's the phone, and here's the printer. And just one more thing I need to let you know. We've decided to keep your position open. Uh, we're going to continue to hold out for a better prospect while you work here. And so just wanted to let you know, go ahead and get to work, but we're going to be looking for someone else. Uh, maybe you work at a place like that, but that wouldn't feel good. That wouldn't go over well, would it? Imagine being in a relationship and you're, you know, you're moving along and things are progressing in a relationship and the guy says to you, hey, look, I'm, I love where this relationship's going and I love how we're getting to know each other more and I just want to make sure you're cool with the fact I'm still hanging out with my ex-girlfriend. That's cool, right? You're cool with that? You're not cool with that? All right, so now he has one more ex-girlfriend to add to the list. Like it's, that wouldn't work, would it? It wouldn't work. See, because we expect people to go all in for us. We expect people to make a commitment to us and be present For us, at least for the people in our lives that matter, the things in our life that matter, we expect them to go all in for us. So isn't it interesting that when it comes to God, so often we're afraid to go all in with Him. And we stand with a foot firmly placed in each world. I I love God. I desire to, to follow Him. But I keep getting stuck and I keep stumbling. And the reason it's so hard for me to take my next step is because my foot is firmly planted in this world. And so James has a prescription for us, a process actually for us, that he would say to those of us, any one of us who at any level find ourselves sort of stuck in the middle, wanting to follow God, but not quite sure how to do so because we still have a foot stuck in this world. James says this. Let's jump down to James 4, 7. He says these words. Look at this process. Submit yourselves then to God. Just pause right there and underline the word submit. Submit yourselves then to God. He starts by saying, look, look, 
Look, you cannot be in love with this world and in love with God. So if you want to move forward in a relationship with God, if you want to grow, if you want to have the life that God actually created you to have and desires for you to have, then you start by submitting yourself to God. What does that word submit mean? It's a word we don't honestly often like all that much because what it means is relinquishing control. It means coming in under. It means saying that I'm not the boss. It means saying to God as if this were news to him, I'm not God, and you are. Submit yourself to God. Come in under his authority. Lay your life down before him. Submit yourself to God. And then he says this. This is very interesting. I don't think we teach this or understand this concept enough. He says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. First and most important thing in that little phrase you can underline right there is this, is that there actually is a devil. And it's not the red pitchfork safe kind of devil that we fabricated and created for ourselves or that he's created to keep his power hidden in this world. There's an enemy of God. And because God loves you, he's your enemy too. And what James says here is you actually can resist the devil, the evil one, the enemy of God. You can, when you, when you submit yourself to God fully, come in under his authority, his loving authority, you can actually say to the devil, no. You can resist the devil. And this is what's really interesting. What will the devil do when you do that? It's, it's like literally up behind me. I, I know you can see it. What will he do when you resist him? Listen, I don't think we realize that or understand the power of that enough. He will flee from you. Because there's nothing that he is more afraid of than a person fully surrendered to God. We submit ourselves to God and we resist that temptation, that draw to this old world and its ways. We resist the devil and he will flee from you. And look at this, very important. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God and he actually will come near to you. This is very important because when we're at those places where we're feeling most tempted or when it is that we fail and fall and sin and stumble, our first reaction is no different than the first reaction to the very first sin found in the book of Genesis. Oftentimes, our first reaction when it comes to our sin and considering God is that we want to run from him, get as far away from him as possible, not have to face him. And yet what James says is, no, 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 in those moments... Draw near to God. Come in near to God. Come into an intimate presence with God. And you will find that he will not reject you, but he has already come near to you. He has already gone all in for you. He proved it. He proved it when he created you. In his own image, God went all in. He already drew near to you by creating you in his image, to be a reflection of him in this world. If that weren't enough, God went all in when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to our world. Famous verse that probably every one of us has heard, at least at some level, for God so loved what? The world, our world, this broken world. God so loved it that he gave his only son. God went all in for us and said, I will offer my son to pay the price of your sin." Going all the way back to the book of Genesis, all the way right up to this moment in my life, I'm going all in. And his death and resurrection will be your guarantee for life. 
God took it one step further. He said, look, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, which is my presence in you. When you enter into a relationship with God, God is not an external force that you sort of have to pray out to or lob your prayers to. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. God's presence is actually in you. God has gone all in. He has already drawn near to you. And so James says, here's what we got to do. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Wash your hands, purify your hearts. James is borrowing from language that would, any of his readers would completely understand. The bulk of his readers, when he first wrote this letter, came from a Jewish faith tradition. One that God had set up so that the people of God could know him throughout the course of the Old Testament, but it had gotten broken and distorted along the way. But they knew that part of their practice and their ritual and repenting to God was washing of hands, was a purifying and cleansing. So James says he borrows that language, that temple worship language and says, look, wash your hands, admit, confess what you've done with your hands, what you've actually done. Purify your heart. That is the motives behind why it is you do what you do and I do what we do. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts, your motives, your intentions. And then he goes on to say this. This is really interesting. Strong language. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will, he will, he will lift you up. Now again, James, not pulling any punches and kind of a Debbie Downer at this moment. Like, you know, grieve, mourn, wail, this is not like the cheery, happy kind of stuff, you know, we want God going to give us a pep talk. James saying, no, 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 no. We have to get incredibly honest with that potential and reality that's in every one of us to completely turn our hearts and our backs on God. We have to wash our hands and purify our hearts and name and confess our sin. The reality is that we continue to put one foot into this world in lots of different ways. And James says, this is no small thing. It's no laughing matter. These aren't just issues you're working through. This is a choosing of your heart of something other than God. And James says, this is serious stuff. And we need to name it. We need to call it out. That's why we have the space in our prayer hall where you can do that anytime throughout the week, anytime on Sunday. You can go and call out and say, God, I don't want to take lightly my capacity to turn my heart and my back on you. James says, look, there's, there's a way for us to begin to go all in with God. Submit yourself to God. That means come in under his authority. Submit yourself to him. Wash, purify, name, confess what it is that keeps continuing to draw you back into this world. And draw near to God. Draw yourself near to him. Humble yourself before God. And he will. He will be the one to actually lift you up. This is what it looks like to go all in with God. It's not about being perfect. And it's certainly not about trying harder. That's the way of religion. But in a relationship with God where true transformation begins is when we decide to go all in. Our our, our true transformation, real transformation begins when we choose, when you choose, when I choose to go all in. To say, okay, God, I... I want to take seriously, I want to, I want to be, 
I want to do whatever it takes for me to respond to you and to follow you. I want to be all in. Not one foot straddling this world and one foot into yours. I want to be all in. Whatever that looks like, God, and whatever it means. And I've seen some beautiful pictures of this in our church. Beautiful pictures of this. I think of a couple in our church who've been dating for a while now, and as they've been growing in their relationship with God and their understanding of God's way and the way it works in God's world, they realize that their relationship that they have has some really unhealthy patterns in it. And they've built their relationship on some pretty unstable foundations. What they realize through understanding God's word and understanding God's heart and honestly submitting themselves to God is they realize that for a while now, a while now, they've been pretending to be married when they're not actually married. Kind of doing all the things that married folks would do without being married. They're pretending to be married. And through some hard, difficult choices, what they've decided to do to go all in with God in their relationship is say, okay, instead of pretending to be married, we're going to prepare to be married. And what that means is I'm going to move out. And we're going to put purity at the top of our list. And we're going to ask God to forgive and restore the things that have been broken, that we've broken. I'm going to take seriously my purity because that's what it means for our relationship to be all in with God. It's, it's, it's like that. I think of a friend of mine who is a part of our church and is a very successful guy. And anything he kind of puts his hand to, he does really well at. Just one of those guys. And he has kind of, his career path has sort of led him to a job right now where he honestly could make a ton of money and just sort of put his head down and and make a bunch of money. There's nothing really necessarily wrong with that. He could totally do that, make a ton of money. But honestly, he knows his own heart and he knows that what that is for him is a lure to just come right back and put a foot into this world because he knows sort of how he'll spend that money and what he'll do with that money. And so what it's meant for him to go all in with God and choose God's way and God's world is he's looked at the place God has him at, the job that he's at, as exactly that, the place God has him at. That it's God who's really brought him to this place and provided the opportunities for him to be at this place. And so now he looks at his office as the place that God has actually sent him to share God's light and God's love in this world. And it's completely changed his perspective of why work matters for him. What's beautiful is this morning, he was at our 9 o'clock service with several friends from his office, one of which recently gave her life to following Jesus. And just think about, he could have very easily said, you know, I'm going to kind of do the God thing on Sunday and kind of, you know, go that route. and I'm going to kind of do my career thing my way, and I'm sure God won't mind. I'm not doing like terribly unethical things over here. I'm just trying to make a lot of money. Nothing wrong with that. But what he says, no, God, I want to go all in, even with my career, with my work. And in so doing, God has made that a place for him to serve and follow God. It's changed the perspective. This is what it looks like when we go all in with God. This is what it looks like for us to choose to say, okay, God, I'm not going to try and straddle this world, but I want to choose whatever that looks like to actually follow you. And the most important step before that next step is taking this step out of this world and not allowing myself to be in love with this world, but God, to be in love with you. I can still love this world, but only after I'm in love 
with you, God. There's a huge difference between those two concepts of loving something and being in love with something. There's lots of things we love. Lots of things we love. And they have kind of their place in our life and we appreciate them for what they are. I love this city. Does anyone love the city of Chicago? I love this city. I know you do, Justin. I love this city. I love everything about it. It's beautiful and broken. I love it all. I love fall in this city. It's beautiful. I love this city. I, I, I love, you know, the way that God has orchestrated and, and, and brought around me some friends. I really love the friends that God has brought into my life. I love them. I appreciate them. I'm grateful for them. They have a very important place in my life. But I'm not in love with those things. You know the, the difference? I love them. They have their place. They have their value. They're very important. I care about them. But I'm not in love with them. And I saw the difference very clearly when I met, honestly, when I met my wife, Jeannie. I saw the difference between loving something and being in love with something. When I met Jeannie years and years ago, I fell in love with her very quickly. And when you're in love, you just lose all perspective. You know, if you've been in love, you're in love right now, you're gone. There's no talking sense to you anymore. This is, you have tunnel vision. And all your attention and all your affection is going to that one person. You are in love with them, and there's nothing that's going to stop you. And, and that's how I, I met Jeannie. I was in love with her, like instantly. And after several months, she eventually fell in love with me. <laughs> A lot of convincing, bargaining. And so I knew, I mean, oh, I'm in love. I've never met someone like this. I've never, this is, I am in love with her. And what I also realized very quickly at the moment was that the girl I was dating at the time, I probably wasn't as in love with. Because I ended up going home and breaking up with the girl I was dating when I met Jeannie on her birthday. I know. Friends, I know. I know. But friends, I've washed my hands and purified my heart. I've come before the Lord. I've humbled myself. It was a, it was a dark season in my life. It was terrible. I was misguided and misled. So I knew in a second, oh, there's things that I love. And then there's someone that I'm in love with. And there's a, there's a world of difference between those two worlds. And as long as I'm in love with this world, I can never fully love God. As long as I'm in love with this world and have my foot or feet firmly planted in it, I'm going to be defined by and obsessed with and drawn to all of what it has to offer. And it may seem profitable or pleasurable at the time, but it always, always runs out and it always leaves me longing for more. As long as I'm in love with this world, success defined by its terms, love and sex defined by its terms, money and power defined by its terms, I can never fully love God. This is what James teaches, what the Bible teaches throughout the scriptures. The heart cannot be divided. But when I am in love with God, all in, then I can turn and truly love this world. Love it like he does. Love it, not in love with it, love it. 
when I go all in with God and submit myself to God and admit and confess that I am drawn to this world and I'm, I have, I have, it's an old flame. It has drawn me in. I know how it can lure me in, but God, I am putting both feet in, not perfect, not at all, not trying harder, but God, I'm submitting and committing myself to you. I am in love with you above all things. You have my attention. You have my affection. Then, then I can turn around and actually love the world like God does and see the places that are broken and love them, not be drawn into them again. And see the places that need God's light in incredible darkness and actually be a part of bringing that. When I'm in love with God, then I can finally and fully love the world And it has its place. In fact, it's the place that God has me right now. And so I want to love it like he does. But that only happens when I'm all in, in love with God. When I take those hard and difficult steps to say, I know if I keep my foot in this world, this part of my life, it's going to keep me, God, from fully following you. And if I want to follow you, then the first and most important step is to say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. Whatever it looks like, whatever it takes, I'm all in. And I have to wonder if James, the brother of Jesus, hadn't seen or at the very least I know he'd heard about the invitation that Jesus continued to give as he walked this earth. Where Jesus would come up to people and say, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave this world and follow me. And the reactions that Jesus got are always, always, always one or the other. No one ever leaves Jesus neutral. Look in the Gospels. No one ever leaves Jesus neutral. It's either one response or the other. Either I'm in love with you or I'm in love with this world and its ways. I wonder if James had ever heard the story of the rich young ruler found in Matthew 17. You don't have to turn there, but the story is of someone who had accomplished by this world standard, had done it all. All the text tells us, and it's in several different Gospels, that he was a rich, young ruler. That means he'd established wealth, he'd established a place in that culture. He was young, so he's kind of a young entrepreneur. He'd done it, you know, very early in life, and he had authority over folks, and he was probably handsome, okay? I don't know, just want to throw that in there, okay? And so here's the rich, young, handsome ruler, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, look, Jesus, Here's the situation. What do I have to do to follow you, to have this life? And Jesus says, well, you know what to do, don't you? He goes, yeah, Jesus, here's the thing. I've already done it all. I clearly love this God. I've obeyed all his commands. I've never really cheated anyone, done anything wrong. I've done everything I can do. I've tried really, really hard. And I've done everything that the Bible teaches. And Jesus says, okay, well, here's one thing I think you lack. I want you to go and sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Now, this is not Jesus' prescription for every person of means. Certainly not. This was Jesus calling out the thing he was really in love with and saying, are you willing, are you willing to take your foot out of that world and be all in with me? Sell it, cash in, literally cash in and be all in with me. And the text tells us in Matthew 17, that he looked at Jesus and had to walk away sad because he loved this world. He was in love with this world too much. What I find so fascinating, so, 
so uniquely God is that the account of that rich young ruler is found in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew, who wrote that book, who captured that story, was someone who Jesus also came to and said, follow me. Come follow me. Be all in with me. And in an instant, Matthew, a tax collector who had acquired as much wealth as he could ever spend in a lifetime, who sort of had it all, hated by those around him because of his job, but had everything he needed within his little walls and his little world. And Jesus says, cash it in and be all in with me. And the text tells us in Matthew's own gospel that he got up from his table and followed Jesus immediately. There's no neutral with Jesus. You're either in love with him and willing to go all in, or it's something else. You're in love with something else. And so the invitation for us, in fact, the very thing that God has created you and I for is a relationship where we are all in with him, all in with a God who has already drawn near to us, who has already gone all in for us through like the act of creating us, through sending his son to die and be raised by the power of God for our salvation, through giving the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence in us. We have a God who's gone all in for us and is now waiting and wondering, will you go all in for him? Will you go all in? Or will you continue to straddle between two worlds, wondering why it's so hard to take your next step, so hard to move forward? What would it look like for you this week to say, God, in this area of my life, I want to go all in. I want to go all in. I want to literally submit and commit myself to you and your ways, your world as you define it. You think about maybe your relationships. And even the example I gave earlier might challenge a relationship that you're in right now. And you realize when you're quiet and still and you listen to the heart of God, you realize we've built this relationship on a faulty foundation. And it does not have what it takes to go the long haul. And so this is our moment as a couple, as an individual, to determine whether or not I'm going to go all in with God, even in this relationship or this desire for a relationship. Think about your career, dreams, aspirations, your future hopes and plans. What would it look like for you to go all in with God for those? To say, God, I want to use the gifts and abilities that you've given me, the ingenuity that you've given me, God, the way that you've wired and created me. I want to use those, but I want to bring you glory, however it may be. Whatever field that may be in, whatever career path that may be, God, I just want to make sure that wherever I'm at, I know that it's the place you've sent me and that you have me. And so wherever I'm at, God, I want to offer my very best to you and be a light to those around me. What would it look like for you to look at your resources and say, God, I don't, this is a hard one for us because we really do. We, we want to honor God and we love God and we, you know, the bucket gets passed, and so we throw some in because we love God and we believe in God. But what would it look like for you to actually truly say, God, no, 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 no. I want to trust you with all of it, all of it, because you've entrusted all of it to me. I want to trust you with all of it because you've entrusted it to me. How can I take this thing of this world, which is money, and give it an otherworldly power and purpose and invest it into what you're doing, God? Release my resources to be used by you, whatever that looks like. What it look like for you this week to say, God, I want to be all in with my resources. And my hunch is maybe there's a 
pattern of, of sin and addiction that's in your life right now. And you've sort of moved past the washing of hands and the purifying of heart and you've sort of stepped full-time into sin management. And you're just trying to keep the wraps on it, keep things moving, make sure no one notices, make sure no one knows, and you spend so much time trying to manage your sin that you're just exhausted. And there's no life in that for you. Instead of having one foot there and one foot here and feeling the frustration of continuing to fumble and stumble and fall and fail in your following of God, what would it look like for you to say, God, I'm going to confess it. I'm going to name it. I'm going to not take it lightly. I'm going to mourn and wail and call it what it is and not put up with it anymore in my life. And I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell this person, God. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell this person. Because I don't want to live a life divided any longer. I want to be all in with you, God. All of me. Because you have so clearly drawn near to me and gone all in for me. What would that look like for you? This next week, we're celebrating a perfect picture of what it looks like to go all in for God. We're celebrating baptism. This is one of my favorite things we do here as a church. Because it's a literal picture of what transformation looks like in public. You get to see what going all in looks like. And I just want to say, we have several folks being baptized next week. Here's just, just I, I kind of have to, the like, pastor in me has to say this. If you have made that decision to go all in with Jesus and to follow him with your life and have yet to be baptized, this one's kind of a no-brainer. I mean that with great sincerity and love. If you have yet to be baptized as an adult to make that decision, maybe you just became a Christian last week, maybe you became a Christian like several decades ago, but you have yet to take that next step to publicly declare that you are all in with God, that your life literally belongs to him, to put both feet in the water and say, I am marked by the transformational power of Jesus Christ, and he is my salvation, then I would encourage you to do whatever you have to do to be part of baptism next weekend. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Not another month. Not another year. If you've said yes to being all in with Jesus, the clearest next step is to be baptized because we want to celebrate that with you and come alongside you. And so you can mark, as Jeannie mentioned, there's a first-timer card. You can fill it out and mark that and say, I am going to be, and I want to be, I'm going to be baptized next weekend. And we'll do whatever we have to do to get you in those waters. It's such a powerful visual of what it looks like to be all in. Well, I'm going to invite the band to come up right now, and I want to give you a little reminder of what that might look like for you this week. When you came in, there was a sticker that uh, was on your seat. Would you grab it right now? You probably are sitting on it. That's okay. You can grab it right now. I want you to pull it out and hold it for a second. And it says really simply just two words, which world? Which world? And what we would love for this to be is a, a help for you to take a next step this week. A reminder, which we all need, right? I need and so the way we design this is it's not permanent, so you don't have to freak out about that, right? But we'd ask you to put it somewhere this week where you can be reminded, which world am I going to choose? Am I going to keep a foot in this world, or am I going to choose to put my feet and my faith fully into God's world as he sees it, as he's determined it? And so for some of you, the best place for you to put this might be on your laptop, a place where you're tempted to maybe you know, extend yourself and work way too many hours and, you know, kind of abandon and run past some of the responsibilities and opportunities God's put right in front of you with relationships and 
Or, or maybe for you, it's a place where you waste a ton of time. And you just need to have this sticker right there on the side where you go, okay, am I going to sort of use these precious moments as God's given me to sort of waste this or could this time be invested? Maybe your laptop is a place for you where there's a, a stronghold of addiction. And this little reminder is a way for you to resist the devil this week and to choose to go all in with God. Maybe it needs to go in your wallet. As a reminder for you, every time you pull your wallet out to go, okay, how am I going to use my resources this week? Am I going to kind of use them or pursue them as this world defines? Or am I going to invest them into things, the way of God, the world that God loves to make them go so much further than they could go on just their own? Or maybe you need to put it on your mirror so that when you wake up in the morning, you look and see that you have a choice, a very real choice, to define yourself by this world's standards, to seek acceptance and love as the world would offer it, or to say, no, I'm going to choose to let myself be loved by a God who's already gone all in for me. Which world will you choose this week, this week, today? So what I'd love to do is pray for us, and when I'm done, we're going to do something we always do around here. We're going to receive our offering as part of our worship. It's another one of those tangible moments for us to choose, like, which world? How am I going to do this when it comes to my resources? So we do this as part of our worship because I think it, it does two things at once. One, it's a way for us just to say thank you to God, to give back to God, to acknowledge his goodness in our life. And sometimes we need to be reminded of his goodness, don't we? How good he's been. And so we're reminded as we worship, we give back to God. It's, it's a very personal thing where God transforms our heart, changes us, releases the hold that money has on us, helps us get our foot out of that world and into his. What's also beautiful and powerful about what it does is it extends the work of God in these walls and well beyond. The reason we're able to do as much as we're able to do in this church is because God has multiplied your generous gifts and responses to him. That's what God does. And so that's why we give. That's why we do it. Many of us give online, but we do it here because it's that reminder for us and a choice for us, which world will we live in? So let me pray for us, then we'll give and we'll declare and call out to God how good he is for all that he's done. God, we, we thank you first and foremost that you've gone all in for us. Jesus, you paid it all. You paid it all. You have already covered every sin we could ever possibly commit. You have already given us all the grace that we could ever, ever, ever hope to use in a lifetime. You have already given us all that we need for life and godliness and following you. Jesus, you have actually literally paid it all for us. And so now the choice is how will we respond to you? Which world will we live in? We don't want to give our lives to a world that will fade away. We choose to give our lives to you, to be in love with you so that we can love this world like you do. We declare, God, even now, how we love you, how grateful we are for you, for what you have done, you are doing, you will do in our lives. God, we thank you that we can draw near to you right now and know that you have already and will even in this moment draw near to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.